We talk about spiritual warfare. First word that comes to your mind, Satan, something else. Spiritual warfare, what do you think? Do what? Prayer? What else? Spiritual warfare. Someone says, spiritual warfare. What's the first thing you think? Do what? Ephesians 6. You're so spiritual. All right. Some of the less spiritual people. First thing you think about, spiritual warfare. Unseen things. What else? Daily. We got armor. We got fighting. Apathy. Does any of y'all ever watch scary movies? Um, You're too scared to say that, aren't you? You say, you know, when you think about spiritual warfare, you think about all these different things, but yet also when you think about spiritual warfare, your mind sometimes goes over here to uh, demons, exorcism, scary things, flying monkeys in uh, Wizard of Oz. Uh, (laughs) It still scares me today. Uh, But we think over here and we think about all these, these real scary demonic things, spiritual warfare. And then sometimes on the other hand, we think about cultural issues and there's spiritual warfare going on as things are being done in our country that are completely opposite as to what God's word has to say. And we say, hey, that's spiritual warfare going on. And a lot of times when we think about spiritual warfare, we think about things that are on both ends of the spectrum and we forget that we have a, as someone said, a daily battle in our lives with spiritual warfare. So it's more than just on the edges, it's with us every single day. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, wrote a letter from prison to a church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a very important city in the Roman Empire in the province of Asia. It had a famous harbor right there on the sea, and so where a lot of trade would take place. There were caravan, trade caravans that would come through Asia, and they would hit right there at Ephesus. It was this metropolitan center of commerce. It was a hugely important city. But it's also a city that had a lot of worship that happened over there. They believed in what was called emperor worship or emperor cult. And that is that the emperor of Rome was deified and so they would worship him. They worshiped a goddess called Artemis. In fact, they were so committed to Artemis that they built a temple to Artemis that at that day was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so magnificent. There were magical cults out there. All of these things going on in this huge city of people worshiping all these different type of objects. Then all of a sudden Christianity came and began to spread a little bit. When Christianity began to spread, it began to uh, sort of hurt the business of Ephesus. Because with all the gods and the cults, they would make these cultic objects, take them to the shops, they would sell them and make a lot of money. Well, once Christians began to make their stand, they would say, you know, we cannot have any of those idols in our home. And so it was cutting back on some of their business. You can even read the book of Acts where there began to be some conflict that happened there in Ephesus. And so in the midst of all of this, with this new church being planted in this this metropolitan city, that from a commercial standpoint was huge and also from a cultic standpoint was huge, Paul writes a letter to them. And for the first half of the letter, he explains to them that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not of works lest any man should boast. 
And he talks about what it means to be saved. And then he goes to the end of the letter and says, now that you have this new life, this is how you are to live. And he talks about relationships of a husband and a wife and the relationships of parents and children, relationships of slaves and masters. And then he gets to the very end and it deals with the spiritual warfare. And it's found in chapter 6. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And you'll see in, in Ephesians chapter 6, I want us to read about four verses, verses 10 through 13. And as he's closing out this, this letter to this church at Ephesus, look what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. First thing that jumped out to me when I read this passage is that Paul did not write to them about how that they were to boycott the temple of Artemis. He didn't tell them that they were not supposed to go to stores that sold cultic objects. Now, whatever stands you take as a Christian and to deal with cultural things, you know, I'm I'm for that. But I'm just telling you that when you get to Scripture, what Paul did, and he closed out his letter... He didn't lay out all these things they're supposed to do about boycotting and this and that. He drove it home to what the central issue is, and that is in our personal lives. Let's get the battle won in our personal lives, and then let's go over and fight these other cultural battles. So the very first thing that he said is that you're involved in a spiritual battle. There's spiritual warfare, and he says the issue is not if, the issue is when. Spiritual warfare is a reality. And before we can tackle the events, the things that are happening and the issues in our culture, we need to be victorious in the spiritual battles that we wage daily. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And as soon as you make a decision to receive Christ as your Savior, there is a spiritual warfare that's taking place. Because God loves you, He wants you to become His child, and He has the best for you. Satan hates you. And he wants to grab you as his own so that he can destroy you. And so as soon as you make a decision for Christ, you have stepped right into a spiritual battleground. And to live a holy and separated life, we must not only recognize that we're in a battle, but we must give careful emphasis to the armor that we are provided to help us to achieve victory. Because without armor, we are defenseless. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians while he is in, in, in jail. And while he's in prison, every day he sees a Roman soldier. And so in the midst of looking at this Roman soldier, it's like that God, who inspired all the Scripture, helps him to use this armor of this soldier to say it's similar to what a Christian has. Because Rome represented the most powerful army of its day. And its soldiers were outfitted in armor so that they could achieve victory. And so as Paul begins to talk about the spiritual battles that we fight, he then uses this illustration of armor. 
And, and you can look at it to where part of it is, is, is defensive in the, in the armor, and part of it we'll talk about in just a moment is also offensive. But using that armor, he says, we have a defense that can help us to win spiritual battles. And so, to begin this series, I want us to do two things. First of all, there will be some foundational truths that I want to share with you. And at the very close of the message, just some practical steps. And we'll do a foundation this Sunday. And then next Sunday, we'll cover three parts of the armor. And then the Sunday after that, three, the last three parts of the armor. Okay, foundational truths. Number one is this. The power of God empowers you. The power of God empowers you. In verse 10, when it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord. That means to be empowered in the Lord. Now, my favorite verse of Scripture, and we preached a series on this a while back. We talked about our favorite verses. was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The literal word in there, the literal translation of that is all things I can do in the one empowering me, the one who pours power into me. This is the same word that's used here when he talks about that the power of God, the strength that we are to stand, to be strong in the Lord. It means for God's power to be poured into me. By virtue of your union with him, by him pouring his power into you, you can draw apart, you can draw from his power, you can draw from his strength, and you can have victory. You are empowered with the power of God. Paul reminds it's only by the strength of the Lord that you and I can have any kind of spiritual victory here, any hope for victory. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, that with God, all things are possible. God said to Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I love that. God says, is there anything too hard for me? And as we go through spiritual warfare and and we're battling Satan on the things that are coming into our lives, I think it's great to remind us the words of Jeremiah when he's quoting God who says, is there anything too hard for me? And he says, there's nothing too hard for me. And so if you will allow my power to be poured into you, you can achieve victory. It's not a matter of your strength or weakness. It's a matter of his strength. And his strength is sufficient and his power is enough for any battle. So be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And you say, well, how strong is he? He is Calvary and empty tomb strong. You want to know how strong he is? Calvary and empty tomb strong. He is Calvary strong, where he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to go to die on a cross at Calvary. And when he died on a cross, he took the sins of all of humanity, your sins, my sins. He took all of those, and he chose to do that. That's Calvary strong, where Jesus says, I choose to die because I love you, I love all of humanity, and I don't want you to be lost in your sins. And so he dies on that cross, and he pays our penalty. He sheds his blood for us. Where you and I should have gone to the cross, he says, step back, I will do it. I am the perfect sacrifice to die for your sins. But then to show the incredible strength that God has, when they took Jesus down and they placed him in a tomb, three days later, he was gloriously raised from the dead. That is God's power. 
And when he raised Jesus from the dead, he says, sin, I'm stronger than you. Death, I'm stronger than you. Eternal life, I can provide it. That's strong. That same strength that God has, that he raised his son from the dead, is the same strength he offers to every one of us. He empowers us with that same strength. So we can never come to a situation where we say, well, I just don't think God's strong enough for this. No, he is. He's proven that he is strong enough and he needs to empower us. But we got to allow him to do that. Let's just say that you, you, you didn't have a really strong heart. And so every time you came to this particular intersection of whether you could take the elevator or take the steps, you always took the elevator because you didn't have a strong enough heart to be able to take the steps. But then all of a sudden the doctors came to you and they said, hey, it's so bad, we've got to give you a heart transplant. So you go in, they give you a heart transplant, and you get a whole new heart. I mean, it's a 100% healthy heart. And this thing's beating great, and the doctor says, hey, you're healthy now. You can take the steps. And when you come to that intersection one more time, and you've got the steps of the elevator, what are you going to do? You see, too often you may say, well, I've still got to go to the elevator because I think I'm too weak. No, you got a heart within you that's strong enough. Take the steps. Take the steps. And what God says in his word is that when we receive Christ, we become a new creation. We have a new heart. We become a new person. And so we don't have to take the elevator. We can take the steps. We don't have to give in to the temptation as to what Satan has put over here. We can take the steps. But the way we take that step is because we've been empowered by the spirit of God. So the first thing is we are to be, to allow the power of God to empower us. Number two is this, the panoply of God protects you. I really wanted to do this, a series, just to introduce panoply to you. Um, I mean, it's a word that most of you have never heard. Uh, you say, well, I have heard it once, Danny. That's right. I preached on the armor of God 10 years ago. And, uh, and some of you have said, could I have a word that I could use Tuesday at work? This is it, panoply, all right? The panoply of God. You say, what is the panoply of God? I'm not going to tell you until two Sundays from now. So you have to come every Sunday to know what it is. No, the panoply of God. The word panoply is a word that means the whole armor. In fact, that's the Greek word, panoplyan. We get our English word, panoply. And he says right here in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, the complete armor. Soldier wouldn't go into battle with an incomplete armor. And the panoply of God means to put on the whole armor of God. In fact, that word panoplia was used whenever they introduced a list of weapons. They would start out with the panoplia, which was a comprehensive term of saying these are all the weapons. So it means that you are to put on the whole armor. You get to verse 13, he says the same thing. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You see, just as a soldier has armor for battle, God's children have to prepare for spiritual battle. God doesn't just save you and then throws you into the world unprepared, unprepared and unprotected. Here's the great news. When God saves you, he equips you. And when we're saved we receive a set of armor. Isn't that great? You know how when you join certain clubs or whatever, you either get a certificate or you get a badge or you get a uniform? When you become a Christian, when you pray and ask Christ to come into your heart, at that moment, he has delivered to you a set of armor. And it fits. It's not like you got to grow into it. It's not like, hey, I got to be a couple years where I can really wear this. No, it's perfectly suited just for you. 
And as soon as you receive Christ, boom, there it is, a suit of armor. And he gives you this suit of armor. He gives you five pieces to protect you. You know, he gives you, he gives you a helmet of salvation here to protect your mind. He gives you a breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. He gives you the shoes of, of readiness and of peace. And then he gives you a shield of faith and he gives you a belt of truth. And all of these are things that will defend against the satanic attacks that you have. But it's not just defensive. It's also offensive. And he provides you with the sword, sword of the word of God. Because it's not just a matter of I'm fighting against satanic attacks. You are also supposed to take territory. You know, Jesus said, he says, hey, when I find my church, my church, it will move forward and the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates are defensive. When he says the gates of hell will not prevail, that means somebody's pushing against them. Guess what? That's the church. That's us. We take the sword, the word of God, and we move forward. So, when spiritual attack comes, he's given us a defense and he's also given us some offense, which we'll talk about all of those throughout these next few weeks. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. You make a decision for Christ. You ask him to come into your heart. It says you become a child of God. At that moment, you have your armor. The question is, will you wear it or not? Most of our defeats or because we run into battle with no armor. We're dressed like civilians entering a war zone. That's why we have so many casualties. We're not dressed for battle. And every day you step into a spiritual battle. Every day, every night, there's spiritual warfare going on. But what is so crazy is that so many of the times we go into it with no armor. And we wonder why there's casualties. Or we just say, I just want to take a couple of these pieces of armor. I don't really want to do all of them. I just want to have a couple of them. Any soldier goes into battle and is not fully prepared when armor is opening him and herself up to defeat. Our strength comes from having the whole armor of God. And in a spiritual battle, we have no defense in and of ourselves. Our only hope is to be fully protected by the armor of God. And so what's the purpose of it? Well, look in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days. In verse 11, that you may be able to stand against. You may be able to withstand. You may be able to stand against. You put on the armor because you're ready to fight and you're ready to hold ground. And the reason you're able to do that is because you put on the full armor You and I are fully dependent on the armor of God, okay? The power of God empowers you, okay? It's the first thing we need to understand. The panoply of God protects you. But the reason for all this is the third point, and that is that the ploys of Satan are intended to destroy you. The ploys of Satan are intended to destroy you. At the end of verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. That word schemes, it means tactics, clever plans, crafty deceptions, cunning methods. It means he uses cunning devices and strategies in an attempt to delude you, to drag you down, 
and to destroy you. He is a crafty foe, and he knows the weak spots in your life. Now, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. But he knows you, and he knows how to push your buttons to light your fuse and to find that vulnerable area. You say, well, how can he know that? Hey, even we can figure that out with each other. We know what lights someone fuse. We kind of know what, what can tempt someone. And Satan's craftier than we are, and he knows that. He knows us about us. He knows us as well as we know ourselves. And he knows how he can attack us. He's clever enough to know that he doesn't need to approach you with something that is repulsive. You know, whenever you saw, see these things where they talk about all these, these demonic things that come, I mean, it scares you, and, it, and you say, Whoa, I'd never give in to that. He doesn't come at you like that. He comes at things that seem to be pleasing and a temptation that's attractive to you. And he presents it in an alluring way and then he invites you to these pleasures that seem to be harmless, but as you indulge in them, then all of a sudden they take you farther than you wanted to go and then all of a sudden they ruin your life. And he's accomplished his purpose because his purpose is to destroy you. Second Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 3. Paul, writing to a church in Corinth, says this. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Just as the first time that we are introduced to Satan and his cunning, as we see it in the Garden of Eden, And as he led Eve astray, promised her something that she thought was going to be great by disobeying God, it would open up her eyes to see new and and better things. As soon as she took that bite, and as soon as sin entered the world, all of a sudden, it wasn't these glorious things that she saw. It was a recognition of her own nakedness. And then he began to feel shame, and, and his sin and guilt began to enter into our world. And what Paul is saying is, is just as Satan was cunning to her, my fear is that somehow you're going to be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Because that's really what Satan wants to do. Think about those words, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And what Satan wants to do is just kind of lead you over here, just a little compromise, or maybe just a couple of compromises. It's okay. It's just a couple of things that you do. That takes you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then you want to continue to lead that down that road until there's destruction. Something that you need to understand is that Satan is the deceiver who hates you and wants to destroy you. He's not like your alter ego that wants to be a good friend with you. It's not like that good side, bad side, kind of good cop, bad cop in there. And sometimes I like to get a little, uh, a little dangerous. I'm going to be over here. It's kind of like what Satan's doing. No, he has no desire. There's nothing in Scripture that ever says that, that he desires fellowship with you and he wants the best for you. He just wants to destroy your life. He does not want you to spend eternity in heaven with God. He wants you to spend eternity in hell suffering forever. That's what his desire is. And so whenever you face a temptation and you know that it contradicts God's word and nature, choosing to go with Satan's plans over God's plans will have disastrous and damaging results. You might not see it clearly in the short run, but it will lead to destruction. And so we need to understand that the ploys of Satan are to destroy us. 
But you say, well, if he's that cunning, what's, what do I need to do? Well, in military strategy, one of the keys is you need to understand your enemy. And you need to respect your enemy as to what power they have. And look what he says in verse 12. He says in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And then he goes on. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against something else. And that word wrestle is a word that means like hand-to-hand combat. It means to take somebody, throw them over, and hold them down. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Look what else we do wrestle against. He says against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Philip's translation says it's like spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. The source of evil is Satan. And so as, as his minions go out and we begin to be tempted on these things, it says it's a spiritual battle that we have. And so the attack against Christ's followers, it's not haphazard, it's not sporadic, it is organized, it is deliberate, and it is strategic. And any of you can take a look back over your life. And we've all messed up and we've, we've sinned and we've said things that we wish we hadn't said or done things that we wish we hadn't done and made decisions that we said we should have never, never done that. We knew that was against what God would have asked us uh, to do in his word. And you can almost look back over there and see there's, there's a strategy to it and that Satan is just looking to weave himself in your life and to bring you to a point to where he has ruined your life, destroyed your life, destroyed your integrity and destroyed your influence, destroyed your family, on and on and on. That's his desire. And so since our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we can't find weapons in our own psychological or moral powers. We can't just just man up enough to say, I'm going to be able to handle this. But we turn to God for assistance because our main battle is with spirits of wickedness that seek to destroy us. They are the source and origin of all of our spiritual conflicts, conflicts, and that's where this warfare is, spiritual conflict. So if it's spiritual conflict, then we need to have our spiritual weapons in order to fight it. We need the panoply of God. We cannot win this in our own strength. Well, you've heard this first part of this message, and you said, man, this is tough. Is there any way that, uh, that there's good news in this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you let the power of God empower you, then you put the panoply of God to protect you. And you understand that the poise of Satan, their purpose is to destroy you. Then there are two practical steps that you can take. The first step is this, and that is to put on the armor every piece, every day. Put on the armor every piece, every day. Paul, coming to the close of this letter, who's talked all through here about our victorious God, then says this, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. It denotes urgent, decisive action. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. It means to pick it up, to bring it, it denotes urgency. If you don't hear anything else, you hear this, it denotes an urgency. There's an urgency for us to take on and put on the spiritual armor of God. 
He says, you're fighting spiritual forces. You need to put on the full armor of God. It is ready for our use, but it's our responsibility to faithfully put each one of these instruments on. If we faithfully put on each one of these instruments, he says, you're going to be ready for the battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says this. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This phrase back here, demolish strongholds. They have the power to demolish strongholds. This is the weapons that we fight with. We fight with the weapons that we'll talk about as we look at the, at the armor of God. And as we fight with these weapons, he says, it can demolish strongholds. You see, Satan, he will begin to get inside your head and begin to lead you in some different directions. And there's some decisions that you've made and there's some strongholds that are there. And he's going to let you believe that there's no way you can get victory over those strongholds. And what he forgets is God's word says that he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world. He who is in you is God's power, God's spirit, the power, Calvary's power, empty tomb power, resurrection power, ascension to heaven power, coming back again one day power. That power is within you. And he says that power that is within you is stronger than he that is in the world, that he can demolish any stronghold. And Satan then knows that he's on borrowed time because I've read the end of the book and we win, okay? In fact, the battle was already won on Calvary. This is just a cleanup operation until Jesus decides to come back. And so in our lives, when Satan begins to build strongholds in our lives, he says in his word that when we use the weapons of God, we can demolish those strongholds. You can demolish those strongholds. But in verses 11 and 13, he says, you got to put on the armor. you got to take it up. You know, the armor, it, it's like the American Express card. Don't leave home without it. And, and so just be thinking that every day that when I get up, that, that I don't want to walk out without my armor. Don't leave home without it. He says, be prepared with your armor. Put it on every day, piece by piece. The panoply. Put on the whole armor. Say, I'm in a hurry. I can only pick a couple of pieces. Don't do that. Because Satan will look for the exposed area and that's where he'll attack. It's just like going out into the rainstorm and standing in the rainstorm for 10 minutes and then someone bringing you an umbrella. It's just a tad late. And we can't just go out in there. Once we engage in the battle, sometimes it could be almost too late for that particular battle. We need to put the armor on. And he says here in verse 13, he says, therefore you take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, the evil day. That's the time of temptation. The critical days of special trials or satanic assault, they can come on you suddenly. When you think of spiritual armor, I want you to think you heard this sermon on Memorial Day. When you think about Memorial Day, you think about World War II. You think about what got us into World War II was the attack on Pearl Harbor. It was a surprise attack. No one was prepared for it. And all of a sudden, the surprise attack came and there's a loss of so many life and so many ships and everything, and it then drew us into this war. You know, Satan loves to do things like that, to do these surprise attacks that will come into your life. But you see, 
we can be ready for those surprise attacks if every day we put on the armor of God and say, I'm going to be prepared. I'm stepping in every day. There's a spiritual battleground. But you know what? I've got the armor of God. I've got the power of God who's empowered me. I've got the panoply of God to protect me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go in my battle. It will happen. You know, um, you know, I had I had thought about um, about putting on the armor and how we're we're safe with our with our armor on. You know, it's interesting when you look in the Old Testament at David. Uh, it says David was what the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a great warrior. Many of y'all know he took down Goliath. It was incredible. We'll show you the video later. Uh, but you know, when he, he did the victory over Goliath and then he led his armies into some great victories. And, and, and this was just a, an, an amazing man of God and an amazing king. And it was interesting where he messed up the most was when he took his armor and took it, took it off and put it to the side. Because it says that when kings went off to war, when he should have been wearing his armor and going off to war, he decided not to go to war and to leave his armor in the closet. And he went outside and he saw this beautiful woman that was bathing over there. And he said he needed to have her. And he brought her in, had relations with her. And then all of a sudden, uh, find out that she's going to have a child. And he has her husband killed. And it just goes on and on. It was a day that he chose not to wear the armor. It was a day that he decided to just leave the armor in the closet. When he should have been wearing the armor and going to war like the other kings did. Mm. And that's when it came. We just need to be careful to know that Satan's going to want to attack us from all different sides. We need to have the armor. So you put on the armor every day, every piece. And then tell me the final word is this. Then you proceed to victory. You say, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Read this. I love this. My favorite verse, verse 13. It's just, this just drips with victory and makes me want to go and go, oh yeah. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word withstand means to oppose, to resist successfully, to stand your ground. To stand your ground, to resist successfully. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, to stand successfully in the evil day. And having done all, having done all, that word means having accomplished, having achieved, having subdued, having conquered, after having done all, to stand firm. A.T. Robertson, Greek scholar, says after the fight is over, it means to stand as the victor in the contest. The living Bible says it like this. And when it's all over, you'll still be standing up. And when it's all over, you'll still be standing up. Satan's going to take his best shot at you, and you're going to wrestle with him. You're going to have on the armor of God. And when you do that, when you're wrestling with the armor of God, you're going to take him down and you're going to win the victory. And when he says, when he goes down, you're the one that's still going to be standing. And when you're standing, it says, and when you've done all, the last thing it says is, you stand firm. You stand firm. You stand in your position, a position of victory. You've overcome it. Spiritual attack came. Armor of God, empowered with the power of God, protected by the panoply of God. The attack came, you took him down. 
it was successful. Not because you're strong, not because of your might, but because of the power of God. And because of the power of God, Satan is defeated. The stronghold is demolished. And he says, you stand firm. And I like that thing about stand firm because it doesn't say that once that happens, they just kind of go back and sit down, take a rest. No, stand firm. You know what stand firm means? Putting on my armor, ready for the next battle. And guess what? Next battle comes, we're going to have the same thing happen. We're going to win a victory. We're going to take you down through the power of God. We're going to demolish the stronghold, and we're going to stand firm again. Every day is a new day. Every day there are going to be spiritual battles. And as Paul is closing out a letter to a church in Ephesus that is surrounded by a lot of great wealth, but also a lot of cultic worship, a lot of crazy things going on. He's telling them, you've got spiritual battles you're going to fight. You're going to fight them in your own life. And you need to be able to stand firm. Be ready for them. Take on the armor of God. You take on the armor of God. Satan has already been defeated. You need to understand that. He has already been defeated. As soon as the tomb was empty, Satan's days were numbered. His trump card, death, taken care of. Jesus has already covered that. And so we need to also know that we can defeat him every day in life. But it's not our own power, but it's in the power of God. And so the armor of God. Take this week, read those verses. Read the following verses through verse 18 and just see what that is and pray that. Just begin to do it every morning. This is not a magical incantation where if I just pray these things and nothing will ever happen to me. No, not at all. When you put on the armor of God, let's say first thing, it's just a constant reminder of those things, of the helmet of salvation, you know, protecting your mind, of that breastplate of righteousness that's protecting your heart and to say that, you know, I've got a positional righteousness in Christ, but I want to live righteousness with him, a belt of truth, knowing that you've got the truth of the word of God, the truth of God that holds every, everything up on there, the shoes that you've got a readiness, that you've got a peace, that you're ready for battle, and there's a peace that God gives that passes all understanding. And to be able to have a shield of faith, to know that whatever Satan throws at you, you've got through this shield of faith that you can continue to move forward. And then you've got the sword, you know, the word of God. And to know that I've got the word of God, and that when any temptation comes, if I can take any scripture that I've ever memorized and just continue to bring that into my mind and into my heart, then I can see victory begin to take place. Wow. There will be spiritual battles, okay? But we can have victory. And God has given us everything that we need to be able to see that victory take place. May each one of us be individuals that are ready and that are ready to take the steps necessary to arm ourselves, to go out into life, to live the life that God's called us to live. And whenever it is tax come, we're ready for them. And we take them down and we just keep moving forward. And we're doing the things that God's called us to do. Achieving victories, not in our glory, but in God's glory. And as the victory is made and the foe is vanquished and you're standing there, you then have an opportunity to give God all the honor and the glory and say, thank you, God. Only by you and your power is this victory achievable. 
and let's just keep moving forward, okay? Let me ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we understand that we're in such a, uh, such a war. And it's a spiritual battle that will continue every day. But yet, Lord, you have provided us what we need to be able to achieve spiritual victory. I pray for, for each person that is here today, because every person here fights spiritual battles. Every person. Lord, no one sitting in a pew can sit there and say, well, gosh, I guess I'm the only one, or the people to my left or my right. No, every person in here has fought battles and is fighting battles. And Lord, sometimes it gets tiring, and sometimes we feel like there's no, no victory. But thank you for your word that reassures us and reminds us that, yes, there is victory. In fact, the victory's already been won. It's just a matter of us entrusting ourselves to your power to give us those individual victories along the way. So I pray specifically for those here in our congregation that are going through a war and that maybe at this time Satan has an upper hand. May this be a message to remind them that your power is stronger than his and that a reliance on you that they can see victory. And I pray that you would give them a hope. I pray that in the, just in these moments that you would open up their soul and you'd speak to them and just let them know that you are there and that your power is there and your peace is there and that they can have victory. And just to continue to trust you, continue to put on the armor and continue to go and battle day after day. I thank you, Lord, for that assurance. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and for what he did on the cross and for the empty tomb and to know that he sits at your right hand and he reigns in power and glory. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.